You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 40 of Archaeology and Ale, a free monthly public archaeology talk brought to you by Archaeology in the City, the community outreach program from the University of Sheffield's Department of Archaeology. This episode's talk is entitled The Importance and Future of Archaeology, a Personal View. The talk is given by Sheffield Archaeology's own Emeritus Professor John Barrett. Due to current COVID-19 restrictions, this talk is taking place online via Google Meets, so there may be some background noise or audio feedback in our recording. Enjoy! Thank you very much indeed. I'm surrounded here by technology I don't understand, but people are looking after me and looking after that technology. Um, so, if I'm assuming you can all hear me, right. Um, this is very much a personal view. So I want to talk about why archaeology matters to me and why it's always mattered to me and perhaps I've formulated it now in a way which, after so many years involving in archaeology, it has suddenly become much more clearer to me why it matters. It also matters, I think, in the fact that archaeology here at Sheffield is under threat, and I'll say something about that towards the end. Um, there will be questions, although, as I say, they, they won't be recorded. Um, if you have questions, then send them through the chat line. Um, I, however, I hope that really, in some ways, there aren't be too many questions, but there should be comments about your own views regarding archaeology, importance and its future. And I'm not laying down any particular line here. What I want to do is talk about my own view and then I'm happy that others of you will have alternative views. So let me start. There are two parts, obviously, to this importance and the um, future of our country. So I think I have to ask for the next slide. Yes. Right. So let's see why it's important. Now, um, can I have the next slide, please? Yeah, yeah. Can I have the next one? Yes. Yeah, right. Okay, um, so what I want to look at is the way in which analysis might be undertaken in archaeology and what the product of that analysis might be. And in, in speaking about the importance of archaeology, what I want to do is I want to question the underlying framework of archaeology as it currently stands. So if I can have the next slide, please. I think that what this will do, yes, it will show us how archaeology is currently thought about. And the way in which archaeology is currently thought about it is there was a past which was dynamic and complex, and it's produced a residue, a material residue, which is the archaeological record. 
And what archaeologists do is they recognize some kind of pattern in that record and they try on that basis to reconstruct some aspect of the past. And that past is very much a human past. So it's very much a concern with humanity as a formation of that archaeological record. So, and this was a point that Lou Binford made many years ago, well, the past is dynamic, but the archaeological record is static. It doesn't move around, it's there. And what we're trying to do is reconstruct dynamics from that. So the interpretation moves from the statics to a past, and that is assuming that we know what we're doing. Now, what I want to do is I want to question this whole arrangement. So let me start by just going through the history of archaeology in the 20th century. So if I have a next slide, please. What you'll see here is, I hope, the way in which archaeology has been thought about in the 20th century. So up until about 1960, the pattern which archaeologists recognized in the material was a pattern which it contained within it human actions. And those human actions were of a particular kind. They were very different. And they were, they were assumed to be actions of human beings that were conforming to some kind of cultural requirements. And culture was the way in which human beings built solidarities. So they built social solidarities on the basis of adhering to a simple cultural procedure. And that cultural procedure determined the way in which they built houses, made pottery, or buried their dead. Now, what happened in 1960 was there was a move against this because basically the argument was put forward that it was very simple and that, and that actually the past was far more complex and it contained a, a variety of actions, actions which were concerned with economic processes, which were concerned with social processes, actions which were concerned with the way which the dead were buried. And so really what the archaeology record should be doing is it should be telling us something about those actions. So in the 1960s, 70s and 80s, what archaeology started to do is think about archaeology under different headings. And those headings had a functionality to them. And in a way, that I suppose is where this department really came in. This department really made an impact in the way in which that was thought about. And in particular, for example, the, the, the department was constructed as a department of prehistory by Colin Renfrew initially, and then for further um, constructed uh, by Keith Bannigan, who, who succeeded Colin as head of department here at Sheffield. So that was, that was the department, that was what we were looking at. And then in the 1980s, there was a further change. And that further change was to say that what people were doing was they were thinking about the, their conditions, thinking about their conditions, but actually they were thinking about them strategically. So that what you were looking at was a strategic change in the way in which people behaved. And that, that strategic change was designed to um, facilitate the way in which particular political situations or political formations could be maintained. So ideology became a very big component within that um, analysis. So those were the three procedures. The first one was 
that people behaved in a way which they did because they were culturally informed. The second one was that people behaved the way they did because there was processes of systemic organization and that systemic organization adapted to particular environments. And the third one was that actually what people were doing was maintaining particular social requirements and they were maintaining those requirements by the ways in which they were using um, ideology. So if I can have the next slide please, as an example, um, Ken Holy One, there on the screen, Ken Holy One, how would you interpret that? Well, if you were using a cultural archaeology, you'd interpret that as a, a burial chamber which was designed by certain cultural norms. There were treatment of the dead, which was a certain cultural norm. And then by new archaeology in the 1970s, 1980s, what you'd be starting to do is you'd be saying, well, actually, that was a part of a, a process which adapted to certain environmental conditions. And then in the 1980s onwards, you had an archaeology which said that actually what that was doing was, was creating an idea of authority. The authority of the dead, the authority of ancestors contained within that tomb was then being used to facilitate the maintenance of certain kinds of political structure. Now that idea is all very well, I suppose, but then there was a reaction. And I've taken as an example of that reaction, a comment from Bjorn Olsen, who is the professor of archeology. span uh, Can I have the next one, please? Professor of archeology span at the University of Norwegian University of the Arctic Circle. And he says, he, was, he, he objected in 2003, he wrote that he was, and I've got a quote here, tired of the familiar story of how the subject, the social, the episteme creates the object. Tired of the story that everything is language, action, mind, and human bodies. I want us to pay more attention to the other half of the story, how objects create the subject. And this really was a, 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 an appeal to archaeologists to understand the material much more closely and to understand the material as creating the kinds of people that they were studying. So instead of saying that uh, people create material conditions, what he was saying is the material conditions create people. Have the next slide, please. I think that shows, I mean, I've got this very simple uh, argument here, that what you're looking at is the way in which those material conditions have created a particular kind of human behavior, made a particular kind of human behavior possible. So I, what I would suggest to you is firstly that really the point of our archaeological investigation is it's investigating the material ways in which human beings have been formulated, created by the material conditions in which they live. So if I can have the next slide please, what should be on this screen now is that the material is actively involved in creating a state of affairs. And that creation of a state of affairs is the state of affairs in which a particular kind of humanity is able to live, is able to find itself, is able to define itself, is able to come to terms with its own conditions. And archaeology is the study of the residue of those states of affairs. 
So the purpose of archaeology is to gain understanding of how different forms of humanists have emerged, living within different states of affairs. And this, this for me, is the importance of archaeology. The importance of archaeology is it begin to understand why humanity is different. And the reason why, one reason why humanity is different, why its variability is so stark, is because it's inhabited different kinds of material conditions. Now, the problem then comes, what does archaeology do about this? Well, let's just consider, for example, um, if I can have the next slide, please, the way in which architecture. Architecture operates to create perspectives. It creates vistas. It breaks up space into regions, and it links those regions by pathways between those different regions. Now, these are all facilities which human beings use. They might think about those facilities in different ways, but they have to use them according to a certain procedure. And they have to come to terms with that. And the facilities which the architecture allows, it allows movement and communication. In other words, it allows performance. So the way in which we're the human beings we are is because we perform in a certain way. Now, the importance of this, and this is a point that Roland Fletcher noted in 1995 in his, in his important book, if, as far as I, I'm concerned, the, uh, the limits, of settlement, limits of Settlement Growth. Um, the importance of this is that you behave in the way in which you do within the material conditions that you've affronted you, but you behave in a way which other people will understand. So it's inherently social. Now, if I can give you an example of this, and I'm going to borrow an example from uh, Michael Boyd. And can I have the next slide, please? And this is an example he published in a book which he and I produced in 2019. So I've, I've taken it from what he's written in that book. And he's written about uh, the source boats of the Cycladic Bronze Age. And he says that the point about these vessels is, if you look at them, you don't know how to use them. And the vessel, for example, do you drink from it? Do you pour from it? The handle is particularly useless in most of the ways in which you could use a source boat. So how do you use that? What is etiquette and using that object? And etiquette is behaving in a way which other people will understand and accept. And that's what's important. And that's what all of us know about, really. I mean, when you walk into an area where you are unfamiliar, or where you walk into an area where you feel in some way out of place, then you become clumsy and you don't know how to behave. So the point about something as simple as the source boat is you have to know how to use it. And you have to use it in a way which other people will understand and other people will recognize. And that's really what you're dealing with in terms of etiquette. So it's how to proceed correctly, how to perform um, meaningfully, in the view of others within the particular kinds of material conditions which are available to us. So if I can have the last slide of this section, um, archaeology is important because its investigations remind us of the ways that we live, depend upon the ways that we can gain understanding of and engagement with the material conditions around us, our material worlds. That's why archaeology is important for me. It's the understanding of the fact that human beings are different because of that materiality. And that has a certain 
political implication because what you're doing then is you cannot decide that there is a, a correct way and another correct way of behaving. You have to decide that there is a correct way of behaving given those material conditions, given that social construction, given that social world that people occupy. Okay, so why might we think about this then in terms of the future of archaeology? Can I have the next slide, please? And I want to consider this within three components. And if I can have the next one, please. Uh, the commercial field archaeology, the university archaeology, and community archaeology. And in many ways, these blur into one another. So let's start with um, the commercial side, if I can. Now, the importance of this is that Firstly, the development of commercial archaeology, and it's, it's a major field now, and it's a major field of employment for archaeologists, and it's a major field of employment for archaeologists, which is running out of people. So actually, basically, you can't now uh, run these commercial units in the way in which you want to, because you haven't got enough excavators. So there's, there's, there's work out there, and there's work out there for people to do. But the problem with this is that the development of commercial archaeology depends upon the development of roads and development of various facilities which are destroying the planet. So commercial archaeology in some ways is actually dependent upon the persistence of a capitalist economy which is itself destructive. So there is a problem. Now, um, if I can just go to the next slide, please. So let's just take as I'm going to take as an example um, the Boyd and Renfrew excavations and others excavations at Descalo, which is on the uh, promontory from Keros, the island of Cyclidean island of Keros. Now, uh, what archaeology does is it reveals very great complexity. And one of the things that archaeologists believe they're doing is they're recording that complexity. Now, as I've tried to argue, what the archaeology looks at is the material conditions within which people perform a certain kind of humanity, perform a certain kind of humanness. So one of the ways in which you can begin to think about this, perhaps, is by the new methods of recording. And those new methods of recording are machine-based recording and are the availability of machinery, which is computer-based machinery, to record the detail. Now, if we look at the way in which the Keros excavations have been recorded, and if I can have the next slide, please. This is a screenshot taken from one of the laptops of Keros. And you see the enormous detail which that recording can produce. Now, what I'm saying is, okay, that that detail's great and that detail's important, but that's not what this is about. What this is about is understanding the way in which performance can occupy those spaces. So in other words, what we need to do is develop a methodology by which we can begin to think about the way in which machinery, the new machinery which is available to us, can begin to think about the way in which spatial relationships are constructed. So if I can just take the next slide, this is a quote from Karen Barrett's uh, paper which she published in 2003, I think, yes. And she writes in this, a performative understanding of discursive practices challenges 
the representation of belief in the power of words to represent pre-existing things. Performativity, properly construed, is not an invitation to turn everything into words. On the contrary, performativity is precisely a contestation of the, of the excessive power granted to language to determine what is real. In other words, maybe we should be looking at this from the perspective not of a record which describes the stuff, but understanding the way in which spatial relationships are constructed. And there's a huge, I mean, I, I have no idea really how this can be developed, but there's a huge area of research which is pertaining to this archaeological problem. Archaeological problem of understanding the way in which human beings construct themselves through their performance in relationship to other material conditions. And if I can just take the next slide, please. This is a, a quote from Judy Butler. Um, you know, gender is, she says, gender is not something that one is. It is something that one does, an act, a doing rather than a being. So gender is something which in which you make yourself in a way in which I make myself male or you make yourself female or you make yourself other. So this whole idea of the, I, the something which is inherited and fixed is open to negotiation and the negotiation is according to the way in which you use the material way in which you perform that identity that you want and the way in which that identity is recognized and the way in which it's accepted or unaccepted the way in which is regarded as deviant or way in which is regarded as acceptable and the way in which performance should continue so there is a huge amount of work here to be undertaken now this brings me finally to the question of Sheffield archaeology and if I can just turn the next slide. How remarkable that an archaeology department at this stage of our understanding of humanity should be under threat. How remarkable it is that the archaeology department at Sheffield, which as I say formulated the way in which archaeology should be practiced in the 1970s and 80s, could now be in such a reduced state. If I could just take the next slide, please. This is from a quote from Michelle, is it? Yes, Michelle Dolan, who is the Minister of State for Universities. And she says, she's talking here about staff in the universities and how remarkable their resilience has been over the period of this pandemic. And she said, that the changes in delivery and accessibility of higher education have now changed forever. So that's, that's an interesting indication, I think, of the way in which perhaps governments are thinking about teaching. I mean, if I can address you like this, why can't I teach like this? Why is it that you have to come to a university like Sheffield to do archaeology, whereas you could have access to a wide range of teaching from other universities, both on this country and on the continent and elsewhere? Why is it that we constantly think about the idea that a single department should produce all the aspects of a discipline, when there are other departments locally, 
which would which could produce aspects of that discipline in the way in which you could have access to as a student. Why is it that I think that um, I, I accept obviously the students need a, a life on the campus, they need to go out, they need to get drinking, they need all that other aspects of life which has been denied us over this period of pandemic. We need all that. But why is it that in terms of thinking and teaching that this is restricted to this university? And why indeed is it restricted to this community? Why can't this leak out beyond the walls of the university into the wider community? Why can't other people cash in on the teaching that takes place given the fact that there is this technology which is available to us? Why can't that now be used? So the first point is that we need to think about a possibility of different ways of delivery. And the way in which we can do that, I think, through the technologies which are available to us. Now, if I can just have the next slide, please. This is taken from a, an email which many of us will have received from the Vice Chancellor of the University of Sheffield uh, and in response to our protesting at the threats of the department. And he says in this email that the University Executive Board um, fully accepts the importance of the arts and humanities subjects, both within and across faculty and across the whole university. And they understand fully the value of archaeology, which is a remarkable claim, given the fact that archaeologists don't fully understand the remarkable value of archaeology. But nonetheless, apparently the UEB does. And then having said all these nice things, there's then the killer, however. You always know when you get a letter, I suppose, which, however, you know that then whatever's nice has been said is just about to be trashed. And he goes on to say that he cannot ignore the fact that the department is facing multiple challenges, including a difficult external environment and a significant reduction in undergraduate student numbers, and that this action needs to be addressed. The status quo, it says, the status quo cannot be maintained. Well, I would agree with him there. The status quo can't be maintained. You can't have a department run down in the way in which this has been. You cannot have a department which has no funding, which has not replaced staff that have been left, retired, or unfortunately in some cases died. You cannot have that and stay a, a reasonable, active department. So instead of bemoaning the situation we're in at the moment, let's make a series of demands. I would suggest to you the one demand is that the headship of the department be appointed and it be appointed by an external head who is going to rebuild archaeology at Sheffield. Now nobody doubts the enormous burden that Caroline Jackson as head of this department has carried over the last few years and the fact that she has managed to maintain the teaching here at Sheffield and that she's managed to behold the whole process together as it's been threatened and as it's been run down. But the time has come, I think, for her to put 
this headship to one side and for a new head to be appointed. And that new head ought to be given the task of rebuilding our culture of Sheffield. Now, whether it's rebuilt under the terms in which I've described it or not, I don't know. That's not the point. The point is that we need an archaeology which is 21st century archaeology, not an archaeology which looks back at the mind-numbing nonsense of the 20th century, but looks forward to an archaeology which is optimistic and which is going to change the way in which human beings think about themselves. And to ensure that that's the case, if we have an external department, head of department who is appointed, then they should also have a couple of posts, I think. So the, the university should invest, and the university should invest with a new head of department and perhaps two posts. And the, the task of that headship of department should be very clearly stated. It is to rebuild our culture. And everybody who comes to Sheffield, students and others who come to Sheffield, should see that that's their role. Their role is to rebuild archaeology here and to take it forward as a vibrant, ongoing discipline. And this brings me to my final point about the university as a whole. University is, if you like, is the community. It's the community of students, it's the community of staff, support staff, technical staff, all those other staff who work here. Everybody who works here is part of that community. They own the university. Now I realize that the fees environment has started to erode that. And I realize that many of you listening, the students who are in this department and elsewhere will be graduating with enormous debt burdens associated with your name. And I've heard, I've heard disgracefully um, academics refer to students as customers, as though you're buying your degree. Well, actually, you're working here as part of that community, I think. And as part of that community, let's, let's take it that what Sheffield should do is they should rebuild archaeology as a going concern, as a going concern which has responsibilities towards its community and responsibilities towards students elsewhere within the environment of this technology, which is now available to us and which we've had to start to use because of this, this pandemic. So I said at the beginning, I'm not trying to lay out for you a particular path of archaeology. I'm not trying to claim that there is one way that archaeology should be practiced. For me, archaeology matters because it's the way in which human beings have made themselves within material conditions. And that the construction of that humanity is what matters. And it's to understand that. And what other, what other, what other challenge is there, for example, to understand the diversity of humanity, given the fact that humanity has spent most of its time killing each other and destroying the lives which should actually be worshipped and should actually be accepted. So it's to understand that and to understand it in a new way, in ways in which, for example, field work or excavation, begin to think about performance and the facilities that, that allow that performance to take place rather than simply logging stratigraphic relationships. 
So uh, that is for me why archaeology matters. That is for me the future of archaeology is to find the new methods by which that archaeology can be put forward and understood. And for me, one place that should be doing that is the University of Sheffield. So let's stop apologizing for that. Let's stop complaining about the situation we're in. And let's decide that we'll make demands. And let's make those demands in such a way that the University of Sheffield cannot deny them, cannot turn away from them, and has to accept that those demands matter. And they matter considerably to all of us in this university. And they matter to all of us in the various faculties of this university. So I'm going to stop there. Thank you for listening to Archaeology and Ale. For more information about our podcast and guest speaker, please visit our page on the Archaeology Podcast Network. You can get in touch with us at Archaeology in the City on Facebook, WordPress, Instagram, or Twitter. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Our next episode will be Sheffield Archaeology's own John Collis speaking on teaching and training in archaeology, a historical perspective. See you next time. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV Traveling America, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, and the Archaeology Podcast Network. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.